0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're in week seven of what we're calling home detention without the ankle bracelet. Um, But we are making do. We've had, you know, we've got our whole family here. And uh, we're finding ways to keep a college kid who's missing college happy and a high school girl who is missing her high school friends uh, alive. I don't know about happy. (laughs) Uh, we've been doing all kinds of stuff. I've been getting my uh, my butt kicked in pente. Nikki is a big exercise freak, so uh, we're doing a lot of walks. We call it the Batan Death March Redux. We have a book club. We're reading the Magpie Mysteries. We're doing a lot.
1: Yeah, we got a lot going on. And, you know, it's been really hard for everybody to adjust over the last six going into seven weeks now. Um Foodie and the Beast has had to totally and completely uh, redesign our shows. We're doing everything out of our beautiful bedroom. We're pre-recording. There's no drink segment. There's no like...
0: Well, we're drinking. There's <coughs> no
1: rattle of the cocktail shaker or the popping of the bottle of champagne. Uh, but we are here to still um, supply a platform for the restaurant and hospitality industry that we so adore. Um, a couple of things... So yesterday on Industry Night, I had an incredible opportunity to talk to the executive director of the Capital Area Food Bank, Radha Mathia. We talked about this optic that's out there right now about big ag just throwing away product and the area food banks not having enough product and what needs to be done to solve that issue. Um, So when you have a chance, please tune into that. Um, Also, follow me on social media, N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keeping you posted on what everybody in the food and wine and hospitality industry is doing. And lastly, the list just launched again. Well, The list has not stopped working, but we just put out our newest issue yesterday. Some great things are in there. First of all, the calendar is now open. So all the virtual classes, cocktail classes, cooking demos, discussion groups, etc., all in that calendar. Many of them are free. Of course, you can go to the Buzz column for the latest on who's doing takeaway and delivery. Uh, for example, Le Diplomat is now in and Gravitas is now out. Uh, it's changing every day. Lots of good things in there for date night dinners, brunches, cocktails, and etc. And of course, there is a huge uh, roundup of what's happening on charities, both locally and nationally.
0: All right. So you want to talk about who's on the show today? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, we are joined by an old and good friend, Michael Babin, a creative friend, as you'll hear. He's the CEO of Neighborhood Restaurant Group. And Neighborhood NRG has 20 restaurants around the area. And when the pandemic hit and they had to pivot to figure out how to continue to uh, serve their customers and make money, they... (laughs) really almost overnight, on a dime, turned and created a concept called neighborhood provisions. You're going to hear all about that, where you can still get hot meals, but you can also get all kinds of food and and other provisions for the house. Uh, Anna Valero is co-founder of the company that owns Hook Hall, and they created something called Hook Hall Helps, which is one of DC's first independent relief programs for workers in the restaurant industry, particularly folks who are out of work and not able to even get part-time work. We're going to hear from her. Ruth Gresser, who is the founder and chef and owner of Pizzeria Paradiso and also Birreria Paradiso, is coming on to tell about how she's continuing to serve her customers and to serve needy folks in the community who are um, food challenged as well. And you may remember that Tables Without Borders did a huge relief event last year, to support refugee and asylum-seeking chefs. They're back this year with a GoFundMe effort to help out those chefs uh, during the pandemic and to help those chefs support folks in the in the community and cook for them where they have no other access to food. So why don't we launch in? Michael's on the phone. Michael Babin, are you there? I am here.
1: So Michael, you and I talked on industry night, literally like a week after everything sorta of went to hell in a handbasket. And Neighborhood Restaurant Group, you have over 20 properties. You guys were really able to, I'm sure you didn't take a step back and evaluate it with a lot of time because you did it so quickly, but you were able to say, okay, this is what we have to do. Mm How did, just let's walk through your process of how you guys were able to do that.
2: Sure. Well, first of all, I want to say I'm really glad you guys are continuing to do this. The show has always been a great. Platform for the industry and we need it now when we're all stuck in our homes isolated more than ever. So thank you You must have received our check. Thank you (laughs) I really do appreciate it Um, Yeah, that was a um, Those were crazy days. They feel like a total blur right now Uh, But the first thing that we had to consider, you know, was that we knew that we while we were able to provide one week of uh, pay After closed down to everybody we knew that that wasn't obviously wasn't going to take them very far uh, the way it works, it was really going to be three weeks of continued compensation, so we felt like we have we have a runway of exactly three weeks <laughs> we got to get something going to keep as many people employed as possible uh, and we and so it really it was very quickly it was just about how do we take care of the team as best we can for as long as we possibly can, not knowing how long this thing is going to last, and obviously the estimates uh, in those early days were very different <laughs> than what what they are now. I mean, I, I thought we were looking at a couple of months, you know, um, so yeah, we, we I have a, an incredible team uh, and, you know, not just of chefs, beverage people, but just people who support all of the businesses in all kinds of different ways. And they're very entrepreneurial. We come up with new stuff all the time. So this was just a bigger example of that. And they jumped into action and, and we we spun it into into life really quickly.
3: Well, let's talk about, because. I think there's
1: a myth out there of how you, about takeaway and delivery. I mean, those were not a part of your regular services. Right. And um, I I think there's sort of a myth out there about what's involved to make that happen. So how did you guys like sort of turn that on the dime and then also decide to launch a totally new model altogether?
2: Well, look, I mean, I want to say, first of all, that, uh, you know, no disparagement intended to the companies that do the takeout, but their fees are very high. I'm sure their costs are very high, too. I, you know, I don't know the inside of their business, but for businesses like ours, you know, really doing a whole lot with takeout um, and delivery was never much of an option just because the numbers don't work. It's like the more you do it, the more we lose money. Uh, so we had never spent a whole lot of time thinking about it. Um, when we saw what was happening in China and just looked ahead and saw, you know, this could really hit us. (laughs) Uh, we started immediately to get all of the businesses up on DoorDash, but there is a lot to think about because the food that, you know, Tony Chittum is making at Iron Gate or, or, uh, or Robert Curtis is making at Hazel and the rest of the chefs, it's not built to be stuck in a box and, and, you know, banged around for 30 minutes on its way to somebody's uh, plate. So they had to rethink, and we had to really leave a lot of items off, sort of redesign some items uh it's It's required them to think in a different way uh but you know they put it all together, and so we were actually because we started that process in uh i think like mid february uh we were we were actually ready we we just as it worked out, it takes time to get onto those services. We got on the do- doordash the day after uh the we shut down the restaurants wow. so yeah. we, we were fortunate you started,
0: re- you started reacting before the
2: federal government yeah. Yeah. my question is you, you
0: know it's one thing to say okay we're just we're gonna we're gonna pivot and start delivering what we make at these restaurants and figuring that out but what about your suppliers i mean you know mm-hmm. to, con- to not only continue to do what you're doing out of the restaurants but yeah. also to be provisioning as we'll get into how do you make that happen because yeah. you know
2: people think. <laughs> People have a lot of misperceptions about restaurants restaurants you know i mean independent restaurants survive on a very small profit margin i was reading the other day that there was a big study in 2017 90 percent of uh independent restaurants closed in the first year so you know these are small margins but they they are the center of a web of all these economic activities right not just with our guests but obviously as you said david with uh, with our vendors, with our landlords, farms, you know, there's dozens of people that we interact with and, and pay money to. And uh, so uh, our vendors are just in the same boat that we are. And so one of the things that, that uh, all of them did, you know, of necessity immediately was to go to COD, meaning that we have to pay them at the time that we get, you know, we, we take delivery. Which is a burden, of course, but it, it just is, it, it was just one of the rules we had to play by as we we're developing neighborhood provisions. We just have to pay as we go.
1: Well, and, also, I mean, just to interject there, I mean, there's so many reports because restaurants closed overnight of yeah, invoices yeah. that just are oh, never getting yeah. I mean, do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, those yeah, invoices yeah. aren't getting paid. Well, there's no so money
3: to yeah. pay them. That's the, not how yeah. it works. Yeah,
0: if, you know, yeah. if, if you think about, like, you know, the, the hoarding of toilet paper. Were your competitors trying to hoard supplies so that they could granting that everybody was COD were some of the you know the deep pocket people right trying to capture the, the marketplace?
2: Yeah, look I think, I think this is in any crisis, there are situations where if somebody happens to have access to capital markets or be well financed or whatever, they you know they're, they're, they become buyers at some point. Um, so it is, it's very tricky. It's tricky waters to navigate. Um, but, you know, we I feel I'm very proud of what we've been able to accomplish. The team has pulled together. It has made all of us, and I think probably everybody around the country, is uh, finding it easier to feel grateful for what they have right now. And you know, we're very grateful that uh, customers are supporting us sufficiently for us to actually be adding employees now. So we have probably about 150 people working for neighborhood provisions now. Um, Great. We've been able What's to... For yep.
1: people who don't know, mm-hmm. what is neighborhood provisions? What is the new model that you yep. laid out?
2: Of course, thanks. Um, so, neighborhood provisions is the, this new thing that we created. You know, really powered by the culinary talent and the front of the house talent, running these weird environments now, where we have to produce all of this stuff in these special, you know, using all of these procedures, socially distancing from one another, and all of that, doing everything perfectly and pristine.ly Uh, It allows guests to come, you can come to the, uh, it's, the the website is actually NRG Provisions. But when you get there, you can choose to buy food for immediate delivery. You can buy, you know, entrees and appetizers for, for dinner tonight or for lunch. Or you can go into our pantry section and you place orders by 5 p.m. for a huge range of things. It keeps growing and growing. Uh, so you can get, you know, flour and yeast, which are two things that uh, quickly, <laughs> early on in this everybody whole, the bag, everybody started baking like crazy. Right. Um, uh, so you can get those kind of things. You can get, you know, Red Apron meats. You can get Buzz uh, baked goods. I just had a delicious biscuit from Ali Chepa from Buzz. Uh, you know, we, you, you can get all all kinds of things and things to stock your fridge with. You know, I think at some point eating out of, we, we're, we're all going to do a lot of eating out of plastic boxes before this is over. Right. But, you know, but the, the more I like to stock the fridge and stock the pantry and, and have options, things that require some prep, a little prep, some things that are already done. And, and so we, we've been able to uh, build, I think, a really compelling offering. And the chefs have gotten into it. They're working together like never before, because usually they're each on their, their own island, you know, but now they're working together.
4: Well, aside from
0: the logistics of making all that happen, um, the uh, you have to have how are you warehousing all this stuff and all these different items and how deep are you buying so that you know do you have three days worth of flour and and you keep punishing that how does that work
2: in a a cod environment we're buying frequently that's what i would say as frequently as as they will deliver um which is not that frequent actually so that's another challenge but we have we have eight places where something is still happening and every day we have a box truck with one of our employees who is really follows, we have a whole set of standard practices where it's extremely clean. Uh, but every day he makes the rounds to each of those places and some things that are being made uh, at each are delivered to each of the others. So it's a, it's a roundabout, um, it works. It's, it, we put it together really quickly. And that's the other thing, we created our own delivery platform as well. So our team is delivering. We wanted to keep all of the jobs involved in delivery in-house. And see how far we could push that so we've got quite a large
1: we're gonna to have to wrap it up but before we do I want to talk about just quickly you have that your own charity and then you're doing work with World Central Kitchen can we just yes. briefly talk about both of those and what that absolutely. looks
2: like absolutely so we're doing work with World Central Kitchen and just with our get a lot of customers are just putting money in to support to provide meals for healthcare workers, for our frontline healthcare workers who are really laying it out there for all of us every day. Um, We're also working with Arcadia, which is a nonprofit that I started 10 years ago, and it's doing a lot of work in the inner cities where a lot of the worst uh, effects of this are being felt. So we're getting ready to launch um, uh, boxes that will provide one week of food delivered to the door of people who have coronavirus who are economically vulnerable. This is a community that is really Getting battered right now and once they're on quarantine and they don't have much money their options for food are really limited So we're going to be delivering that uh, to to those folks. We're gonna um starting in the next few days
1: Great michael tell everybody please where they can find all this information
2: Well go to nrgprovisions.com And uh, yeah, thank you guys for having me on and thanks to everybody on here for supporting in our neighborhood Provisions. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Michael. Be safe. Thank you Thanks so much. Bye bye.
2: Nellis
1: and David Nellis for Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec.
0: All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We have with us Anna Valero. She's the co founder of Pirate Ventures, and that's a company that owns Hook Hall, Taste of DC, Drink the District, which I've done and it's fun, and Kraken Axes locations in DC and Baltimore. Uh, We're going to release the Kraken by talking to to Anna, not just about her business, but about what she's done with Hook Hall Helps.
1: Uh, Anna, thank you so much for joining us um, this morning. It's really interesting because when everything shut down six and a half weeks ago, uh, Jill Collins, who is your PR person, got in touch with me right away. And she's like, you need to know about Hook Hall Helps. I mean, you came out immediately. So I'd love to hear about, I mean, we want to explain to people what it is, of course, first, but also you were ahead of the game. Like you were ready to go and this is not your background.
5: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know, running a relief center is nothing that was sort of in the grand vivid vision here, Mm -hmm. Uh, but neither was a global pandemic. Uh, and, and thank you for having us Yeah, Jill, Jill's phenomenal. Uh, what, what we did, uh, so people have a little ideas, we, uh, Hook Hall is a very large event space and tavern located in the Parkview-Petworth area of DC. And what we realized is we have space. And when Hook Hall started, it was, the vision for Hook Hall was always to be a space where the community could gather. And as we had more and more regulation coming in that, you know, suddenly we could not gather, and that could not be how Hook Hall stood in the community, It was happening at a time where the community still had a need. And, you know, I was getting a lot of calls from other people in the hospitality industry saying, you know, we're having to furlough, we're having to shut down, we're having to, you know, lay off a ton of our staff. We want to help them and we don't know how. And we were starting to hear from our own crew at about the same time that they were having trouble getting access to a lot of the basic things that we sort of all take for granted, you know, the, the proverbial toilet paper and uh-huh. and dry goods. And we realized that we still had access to a lot of that from our distributors. And so the idea of providing um, started with the idea of providing care kits for our crew. And when we're placing the order for our own crew, realizing that there's this greater need in the community. So Hook Hall Helps came from the idea of how can we help those who are getting hit the hardest and the fastest. By the COVID-19 shutdowns, which were folks in the hospitality industry. And so we started putting together care kits and at the same time, um, it, I started calling it kitchen gleaning. As kitchens were shutting down, there was all of this perishable food. Everybody and, was
1: cleaning out their fridges, going through their, right, there was stuff to take.
5: Exactly. And as opposed to letting it go to waste. Here you have a ton of people in the hospitality industry, a ton of people who love to serve, who suddenly are either out of work or are struggling to figure out how to help those. And so connecting them with these perishable goods to make hot meals. And, you know, in our industry, we call the family meals an institution. Right. And so how could we provide, along with the supplies people need, family meals at the same time? Mm -hmm. And so that was how this originally started, is just sort of that idea of, how do you let people know that they, people, especially folks who wake up every day to serve others, that at a time where they needed to be the ones served, that everyone was there for them?
0: Well, a a question, because you managed to get Ryan Gordon to come in, and uh, Chef Ryan Gordon, to come Mm -hmm. in and kind of honcho the preparation of all this food. What happened, was the old Vic restaurant on U Street, did they close? And he was just hanging out. How did that work?
5: Yeah. So, um, you know, Ryan's Ryan's a, a friend of ours who he we have been talking with him. Uh, he's actually going to be launching uh, the galley at Hook Hall, and so he's actually going to be partnering with us on our food program there. And so all of this was happening at the same time that he was about to be literally a, like a week after this happened was supposed to be launching our food program, uh-huh. and just in conversation. And he is, you know. Former military, you know, former Marine, like no holds barred was like, here's how I can help. What do you need? How do we do this? How do we make sure people are taken care of? And just so values driven, which has been, you know, one of the things that I think this crisis has really shined a light on is just how that, the, the folks who have just without question, without hesitation, just stood up and said, here's what I can do. And here's what I have. And it's different resources that different people have. And you know, it's you know, from, from our end, it's been rewarding to at least be able to help connect some of those people with um with the folks who need the support. And then
1: you pretty quickly hooked up with RMW. So and that was a an incredible partnership. And and hook call helps evolved because everything changed so quickly, especially in those first two weeks. So how did you partner with RMW and how did they How'd you help them? How'd they help you? How'd that all work?
5: Sure. So one of the one of the things we started hearing from a lot of our partners in hospitality. So you think about everyone thinks about hospitality and they think about bars and restaurants. But mm-hmm. really, hospitality is so much greater that, than that, especially in this city. You know, it's all of the event production companies, it's all of the liquor distributors, it's all of the, the wholesalers. You know, the, the ripple effects of this are just so great. And mm-hmm. some of them started reaching out saying, Hey, we have dollars we want to contribute. How can we do that? And I I cut my teeth in the nonprofit development world. And so I was like, guys, time out. Compliance 100% first and foremost. Everyone wants to pop up a GoFundMe page. You know, a lot of people reaching out saying, I want to pop up a GoFundMe page. And I was like, let's go 501c3. Let's make sure that we're being very transparent. Because what was important to me is that there wasn't nepotism happening. I didn't want to start taking dollars, and then it become like, oh well, who who's friends with Hook Hall that's getting those dollars? What was important to me is that the entire industry was able to benefit from the generosity of the people reaching out mm-hmm. and working with REMW. They're such a great partner. And one, they very quickly uh, worked with us to create a fund under Education Eats, their nonprofit, which is an um, nonprofit. And so uh, they've been phenomenal in terms of being that you know that partner in that clearinghouse and helping us make sure that we are uh, thinking long-term strategically about how do we utilize the dollars coming in.
1: So, How are people in the industry using Hook Hall Helps now? If, if I'm a person in need, how am I utilizing Hook Hall Helps?
5: Sure, so we are open seven days a week. Um, people in the community are utilizing it in a few different ways. One, if you are an out-of-work person in the hospitality industry, um, For two hours every day from 6 to 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday and from 12 to 2 on Sunday, we we hand out um, care kits and hot meals that you can come pick up and take Um, for operators in the industry. Because what we started to see and what we knew was going to happen was all of those great perishables at the onset were going to start to dwindle. And so how could we utilize those as long as possible, sort of save the dollars coming in? And then when you started to hit that tipping point of, you know, there's no longer the the greens that are about to go, how can we utilize those dollars to protect people in the industry by making sure that there were places for them to come back to? Mm -hmm. So how do we then connect with operators in the industry to pay them to create the meals and to then use those meals for the folks who are either out of work in the hospitality industry, or through the generosity of the Rockefeller Fund Grant, um, in partnership with Department of Human Services, be able to activate operators to provide meals for other members of the community who need help.
0: Well, you're feeding so, the families of that charter school too, so. That's,
5: exactly. So are, working that's with, work.
1: so are you working with other kitchens or is it all coming out of your kitchen?
5: we are working with other kitchens so again what was important to me was how do we how do we make sure that the dollars can go to the most people in a way that helps them we you know i'm an operator myself this is a cash flow game that we're right. all in right now we don't know when this is going to end this is all about you know being very candid how do you stay alive as long as possible until right. we have clarity on what coming out of this looks like and knowing that coming out of this is going to be a very phased type of new process. normal that we get to.
1: It's a slow process. Absolutely. So exactly. moving forward, like how, how does the lay person help you? Do we donate? Can we volunteer? What are the options for the person who loves the restaurant industry and wants to be able to support it?
5: I appreciate you asking that. Uh, a few different ways. Uh, one. Uh, monetary donations always go the farthest. Um, and so if people go to hookhaulhelps.com, um, they can find ways that they can donate. Uh, we've also partnered with uh, Bailiwick Clothing, uh, who has created the Kindness is Contagious t-shirts. Yeah. Uh, proceeds from those t-shirts go directly back to the fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those of us that need a little retail therapy right now. Right. Um, uh, the other way is uh, what we're launching this Next week is for, I think it's really important that especially as everyone is staying at home and especially those in the hospitality, um, scene who don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work or what that's going to look like. Uh, we are partnering with people who are donating their time and talents to do online education. And so we are in... The idea being, how can we, one, continue to create a sense of community for people who are in the hospitality industry in D.C.? and mm-hmm. can we provide them with education so that whenever we come back, we come back stronger than we were when we left? And so how can we partner across the board? So not just for folks who are in the front of the house with the fun stuff like, you know, how do, you, how do you do different cocktails behind the bar? But how do you also think of it in terms of professional development? So we have you know, some folks from Marriott who were talking about uh, how, do you, how do you do pricing for menus and thinking about sort of the business side of it as well. Excellent.
1: Everything you're doing, Hook Hall Helps. It's amazing. Anna Valero, thank you so much for joining us today. Just give the website one more time, please. Sure, it's hookhallhelps.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for today. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back with Ruth Gresser in just a minute.
0: All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And we are talking to, I think you're going to get our uh, our fifth-time guest special jacket, Ruth. Ruth Gresser, <laughs> Ruth Gresser, who is the founder and chef-owner of Pizzeria Paradiso and Beiraria Paradiso with, what, 200 different kinds of beers? Am I oh, right? Yeah.
6: At least, at least, on a a good day, on a regular day.
0: Honey, could I use a beer now? But um, Ruth has been very busy, not just helping her staff stay fed, but helping her community stay fed. And we wanted to have her on because she's doing good things. Uh, Why don't we start from the start? When this all happened, what happened to you?
6: (laughs) Well, uh, what happened to me was, you know, I was watching and paying attention because that seemed to be the right thing to do at the time. And uh, I, um, I was following kind of the the directives and that from coming from all the different governments because we're in three jurisdictions, frankly.
1: Right, you're in Virginia, Maryland, and and DC.
6: Right, right, right. And um, and at kind of a couple of days before the final decree came out that we should go to takeout only we had started talking about what was what was down the pike and there's an interesting thing because in the way everything was being presented was restaurants in places where there was shelter in place restaurants were shuttered that was the word that was used in the in the media that's how how it was spoken about and I to me <laughs> a restaurant me- being closed means a restaurant's closed. Right, for good. And uh, right. And so that was that was what I was anticipating happening. And I thought that this that this takeout delivery was a stepping stone to actual closure. And then I did a little more digging because it, it became relevant <laughs> and realized that 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 restaurants were being considered Essential, and would stay open. Were would be allowed to stay open for um, takeout and delivery, and um, so. Which was uh, a
1: model you already
6: had. Yeah, I mean, the 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 reality of being um, being a pizza restaurant is that we were already set up to do takeout and delivery, um, so. You know, we had all of the platforms in place to do I mean, a lot of things that a lot of people had to scramble to do, we already had set up. What it meant though was, you know, it's a completely different business model. And someone just asked me yesterday, how did you decide what to do? <laughs> and there kind of wasn't, it, it, things stuff was coming at you so fast that it, it was, uh, it, the, the, the two choices were closed completely. Or stay open for carryout and delivery, and like I said, because we uh, were already set up, and frankly, because in a matter of fifteen minutes, I went from having a staff of 170 people to having a staff of about 24,
1: yeah.
6: um, and we did that over a video that we, um, you know, shared the link to. So we made a video, uh, uh, a Paradiso video, with me and my um, executive kitchen manager. And the two of us spoke to our staff as a whole and said, this is what's happening. Um, and part of the decision to go to, to keep um, doing the carry out and delivery was I could maintain jobs for some of my staff. Um, that was one. And the other thing was to be in the position because all of us in this industry have obligations to landlords and vendors and, and paying sales tax and, you know, and loans and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it seemed to make the most sense to stay open and try to maintain whatever income we could maintain in order to just simply take care of our obligations. Um, So those were the two factors that, Made us decide to continue. Um,
1: Was the addition of alcohol sales beneficial?
6: Um, you know, it in theory it should be, um, and we are doing a little bit of sales that way. Um, and what we're finding is that it is, it, but the, the problem is none of the none of the um, uh, none of the delivery platforms are set up to take on the responsibility of delivering alcohol. Because you have to, you have oh, to confirm right. that the right. person receiving it is of age. Uh-huh. And so we're we're only doing carry-out um, alcohol, which, you know, we're doing a little business that way, but mm-hmm. you know, compared to our, well, compared to our bar business, it's it's virtually nothing. <laughs> um, and so and
0: when did you start I basically getting into gear for feeding hungry people in the neighborhood?
6: So that was um, that was a few days into um, into the, the, the change, I kind of um, realized that that we have always done, you know we've always done two things. we've always supported our staff and we've always supported our community. And the idea behind, you know we we would only be able to do a limited amount of business in our usual model or our, our as we were set up to deliver um, and the the thought was that if we could um move expand our reach basically to do something good and support the community it would also support our staff because we would be able to bring a few people back to fulfill that um, that production, I guess. Um, and so, um, and we have always had a very close relationship with our Hyattsville nonprofit partnership with artworks now. So we started talking to them about creating this and creating this 1000 or this 10,000 pizzas program. um,
1: Let's walk walk us through it. What is the 10,000 pizza program?
6: So, um, we looked at, you know, at that point, everything was sort of in a 10 week framework, you know, like uh, it was the beginning of April and the 10 weeks puts you in the middle of June. And, um, and so we thought, okay, let's deal with the next 10 weeks. And if we can serve a thousand people who need food, then over the course of the 10 weeks, it would be 10,000 pizzas. Wow. Um, so, and the artworks piece is, There's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of data out about they're, they're producing mandala coloring sheets and there's a lot of data about interacting with mandalas as being very soothing and comforting and it lowers blood pressure. You know, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, health value, um, to these these um coloring sheets that they are creating so the two things together you know feed body and soul is basically how we put it the art piece is the creative um, healthful uh, lo- stress lowering element and then the pizza actually fills well, you I
4: think
0: we could probably use 10,000 pizzas here because my stomach just grumbled and my wife looked at me like I, you know what was that <laughs>
1: Was like, yeah, he's, not in, he's clearly not in need. <laughs> it was.
0: It was like crap, of her pizzas. I could eat ten thousand of them.
6: Well, there's no questions asked. If you come to the Hyattsville uh, Hyattsville no, no, no. location on Thursdays, we're giving out 500 pizzas. Yeah. You know. Right. So let's here. talk
1: about how that works. Like, yeah. are you fundraising for it? How can people get involved? How can people yeah. help you accomplish this goal?
6: Sure. Um. So we are fundraising. Um. um People can donate at artworksnow.org, uh-huh.
3: um,
6: and they on their um, on their website. There's a uh, ten thousand pizzas page where you can go and donate, uh-huh. um, and that's so artworksnow.org. Um, um, and then we are looking for grants and some of some another piece of what's happened is with the with the collaboration with artworks. Their two main demographic populations that they that they work with are children and seniors or uh, older adults So a couple of the um Of the council people in prince george's county have are uh, um, wor- are working with us to sponsor and we are Delivering pizzas to senior facilities and mm-hmm. to community centers in in prince george's county so it's a real it's a real collaborative effort, and um, and we're you know it's very gratifying. It's a little thing that we can do,
1: mm-hmm. um, but every little bit counts. Every little
6: bit counts. We've probably added about four part time people to our staff in order to be able to do it, um, and so it's it's met the goals that we have had that we had when we started, mm-hmm. um, and we we are definitely still. Looking for funding because the funding has not been met. Um, But in the meantime, uh, you know, a lot of people are being served.
1: Excellent. Ruth, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hopefully, we can talk to you and hopefully a couple of weeks or a couple of months about what, it, what, what the next steps are and how yeah. we reopen and what that looks like. Let's give out
6: the web address for order. Please
1: give the web out address for both the uh, charity and for uh, ordering from Pizzeria Paradiso.
6: Sure. You can order pizza or, or make your own pizza at home kit uh-huh. um, on, uh, at, at eatyourpizza.com. That's Paradiso's website. And the website to donate and support the 10,000 Pizzas Project is artworksnow.org. Excellent. Great.
0: Okay, thank you. Thank
6: you. Thanks thank you. so
3: much.
1: Thank you. We'll have
0: your Foodie and you. the beach laser delivered uh, you know, shortly. Great. Sounds perfect.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nikki it's nice right. We'll be back in just a second. Bye.
6: Bye-bye.
0: All right, you're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Uh, you guys right, m- might remember last year that an organization, a great nonprofit called Tables Without Borders, had a big fundraiser supporting refugee and asylum-seeking chefs. And founders Sam Scroy and uh, Sarah Abdel Rahim are with us because Tables Without Borders is very active now, making sure that, that those chefs, those same chefs, and their families are fed and helping to feed other folks. So, guys, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for joining us. Welcome
0: back. Thank you for having
1: having us. So let's talk about Tables Without Borders initially. Let's talk about what your your initial mission was and then how it evolved in
3: the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Tables Without Borders in its truest form is a nonprofit organization that pairs refugees and asylum seekers who have culinary backgrounds from their home countries to restaurants in the D.C. area. And we provide them with paid internships in these restaurants. And those internships culminate in a Tables Without Borders dinner that welcomes diners from the community to try their home country's cuisine.
1: And this has been going on. So you guys launched it like a year ago, right? Yes, a year ago, exactly. Mm-hmm. And has it and it has it been growing in the past year? Because you guys did like a big event last year. And then have you been able to expand on it throughout the year? Yeah.
4: yeah
3: so we, oh, uh-huh.
4: go ahead, Sam. <laughs> no, just say, so we've worked with uh, several different chefs that we uh, have introduced since last year. And then we really wanted to expand the program as well to make sure we're kind of helping the chefs that we work with as much as possible. So you may remember last year was mostly focused on the dinner, but since then we've been trying to give people more time in the restaurant because I think not only do you get the best kind of final product and final dinner once people get to know each other a little bit better, but it's also more help for the people that, you know, have recently moved here, um, get time in the U.S. kitchen, kind of make some connections and learn some new skills as well. How many people are we talking about?
0: That, you, that the that Tables Without Borders works with?
4: So, since last summer, I think we've worked with around nine chefs mm-hmm. um, in different capacities. Some, you know, we've actually increased that now during this COVID 19 activity. So, up, I think closer to 13, 14. Um, and really, some people have done dinners, some people have done internships, um, some people now are cooked for hundreds of people in the community.
1: And with the change most recently with the pandemic, how has that changed your mission in what you're trying to do?
3: Yeah, so since COVID-19, the restaurants have closed to provide our internships and these dinners that really draw in the community, but there are a few things about Tables Without Borders that are given, which is a pool of incredible um, skilled refugee and asylum-seeking chefs that are just itching to cook and use their skills to help those in need. So we've changed a little bit in taking our chefs and using restaurants in DC that are closed as a result of COVID-19 to just cook meals, but for members of the community. Um, so our chefs now are um, going into these empty kitchens and throwing it down and making hundreds of meals for the most vulnerable um, people in our community. Those that have been furloughed, homeless individuals and medical workers.
0: All right. Well, tell us a little specific. Tell us about the chef with the best chef's name ever, Bacon Williams from the Ivory Coast. Well, He just got here six months ago and he's got something that he's cooking up shortly. Tell us about that.
4: Yeah, so he uh, moved here recently. He's actually cooked his whole life. So he had uh, cooked several years in France, um, has experience in Libya, Angola, and Niger, I think, and maybe a few other African countries. So this is what he's done his whole life. Um, and we cooked with him with the help of Gerald Addison. Big shout out to Gerald. Mm-hmm. Uh, 250 meals. It was kind of West African cuisine. Um, so it's like a jollof rice, grilled chicken, and an eggplant-based sauce, um, and that food was donated to Ayuda DC, a nonprofit here in DC. Um, the reason we wanted to work with them is because 75% of the families that they support include a restaurant worker. So we really wanted we've you know benefited so much from the restaurant industry, especially during our launch last year and since then.
1: Uh-huh. We're,
4: you know, totally reliant on that industry, so we wanted to be able to give back to the workers who are now. Uh, having
1: a tough time. So Sarah, you were saying as sort of how this charity has evolved. So how are you getting the food? So they're going into the kitchens, but how are you getting food to people? How are you incorporating sort of all the COVID ways we have to behave from being sanitized and face masks and all that kind of stuff? And then how are you actually getting to the, the food to the people in need?
3: Yeah, definitely. So in terms of the logistics, um, these restaurants, we use their existing purveyors. Um, So we will just call them up and we'll order the food and it'll be there for us at the restaurant once our chef gets there. And it's just two people in the kitchen. So it's the host chef of the restaurant that was closed down. So in this case, um, Gerald Addison, and then um, Chef Bacon Williams, and they cook um, on different prep stations over six feet apart. And they kind of help each other out. And then we package the meals and we put them in the refrigerator of the restaurant, and then we'll do the delivery the day after. So for Ayuda, we did a couple of trips in Sam's Mini Cooper, um, and we delivered the 250 meals um, several times. And um, the way the drop-off works is they'll set us up a table and we'll just put the food on the table and someone will come and take the food into the organization. So it's very much um, adhering to all of the safety precautions that we need to take care of. Masks are worn, gloves are worn, um, and the chefs are cooking more than six feet apart. Wow, I mean, it
1: makes being charitable really hard.
3: <laughs> you know, it there's obviously does.
1: Issues. So how can people? help you help others? What can the layperson do to help all these incredible people who are trying to, you know, be a part of our community?
4: Yeah, we have a GoFundMe active right now. I think at this point we've raised just a little bit over $15,000 and that's what's kind of funding all of this. We're able to pay the chefs to be able to provide to the community. We dropped off, I think, close to 430 meals yesterday Um, It was coordinated with a local nonprofit, CASA, which supports uh, Latino immigrants. And we took it to a church who coordinated with the local community to bring people out. And I got a text yesterday that over 600 people showed up. Um, People were walking, biking, and just getting there however they could. Uh Um, So obviously, you know, we weren't able to provide enough food for them. Um, There were people that had to go home without. So that was a really you know, powerful, but really sad uh, text to receive just how much need is out there. So our GoFundMe is still active. I think, you know, we'll keep increasing the amount until um, people decide that's enough. But um, we just want to be able to provide for the community while our chefs also get employment.
1: How do you go about finding the places in need? Because I feel like we just talked with Ruth Gresser And we talked with Michael Babin, and we talked with Anna Valero of Hook Hall. I mean, everybody is looking to get food into the hands of people who need it. And Sam, you just told us there are people who are still not getting it. So what is that coordination process like?
3: So um, because of the COVID-19 crisis, there's been really great reporting on organizations in the D.C. area whose clients need it most. So Sam and I, every day, we'll just scroll through um, a bunch of articles and a bunch of posts, and we'll just identify people and their titles and these organizations and just send them an email. And these emails have been really great at connecting us to these organizations that need it most. But as a result of shows like Foodie and the Beast and some of the press that we've gotten, people are actually reaching out to us. And they are finding that our chefs are making food for the community. So they'll email us and say, do you have capacity to make 250 meals? And we'll say, yes, we do. What's the coordination process like? So through, um, you know, these platforms that, you know, Nikki and David are providing for us, individuals in need are able to access our resources. And that's, you know, the biggest thing that we can ask for during this time is getting food the hands of those who need it most
0: it, it, i hope you uh, great success i wish you great success and sam it sounds to me like you're gonna have to buy a land rover and get rid of that mini cooper to get more meals into it
4: yeah. <laughs> We had to.
1: Rent uh, it. how many
0: meals do fit into a mini cooper
4: that's <laughs> <laughs> we've figured out not too
0: many
1: so right. tell us quickly one more time gets get the gofundme uh page and website so people can donate
4: Yes, if you search uh, support refugee chefs tables without borders, it'll come right up. Um, we can share a link also. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also on our Instagram. If you go to tables without borders at tables without borders, it's in our bio. Um, and we're just so appreciative of everyone that's donated already. And the restaurant industry that's really given back a lot to us, Gerald and many other people have opened their kitchens to us.
1: Well, we want to thank you both for joining us uh, today, not in studio, unfortunately.
0: We want to commend you because this is really, we said this to Ruth Dresser, too, and all the other folks, you're doing God's work.
1: Yeah, really really amazing, amazing work. So we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us again. Uh, Foodie and the Beast, we're no longer live, but we are here for you. And we had such an incredible show today. Michael Babin with his Neighborhood Provisions, um, Anna Valero, Hook Hall Helps, Ruth Gresser and her 10,000 pizzas, and lastly, Tables Without Borders. We're so grateful for them all being with us today, and we're grateful for you for tuning in. Please check out at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S for everything going on in the food, wine, and hospitality industry. The list are you on it, dot com. Everything you heard today is on there. And don't forget to tune into Industry Night. I'm talking to some of the biggest minds in the D.C. community.
0: And despite what you might have heard out there, do not ingest or inject disinfectant. That's stupid.
1: Yes. Thank you for joining us. Have a good week. Be well and be safe.